The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. One thing that uh, is uh, really important and uh, really matures over a long time, um, and this is true just in general in terms of how we relate with life, relate to our life, but also in terms of how we relate to meditation practice. It's about the motivation, like why, why are we interested or why are we practicing? And it's, it's just good to look at that, like what got you here? And it's like uh, Holly was mentioning, some of us you know, have come in and out of it d- different ways, it's not uncommon. What is it that brings us back? And, it's, and it relates to this basic trustworthy motivation of compassion. Like, I often say, like, it's not easy being a human being. And when I say that to myself, it's like, I remember it's actually true. <laughs> it isn't, even someone like myself who's pretty privileged, it's not easy being a human being. Having a conditioned mind, having a body, an aging body in particular, living in a messy world, it's not easy being a human being. And the practice really comes out of some honest relationship with the challenges. Like life is challenging, and suffering really happens when the mind, the heart, relates to the challenges with struggle or like I mentioned, that grip of aversion, or, you know, it, it cuts both ways. It could be the grip of aversion, oh, I don't want it to be this way. Or it could be the grip of greed, like, I don't like this, but I could do this. I could become this person, perfect, or I could get this, or then my conditions would be the way I want them to be. Both are a rejection of the present moment and the cause for suffering. So life is challenging, that's not going to (laughs) change. It doesn't matter what your spiritual practice is, life will forever remain challenging, you know. So I think, hopefully we get that. And then the question is, what do we do about that? And it goes back to that, well, how do I relate to life's challenges? Do I, mostly unconsciously, out of habit, fall into greed and aversion? Hate and aver- uh, hate and greed as my pri- and and disconnection, you know, uh, distraction, delusion, not being aware, which is usually the first step, which allows us to go to greed or to hate, aversion, right? Because when I'm not aware, then I don't really see the consequences of thinking, you know, that promise that's never kept. If only. You know, I should go to Common Ground Retreat Center tonight, but, you know, I don't want to. And, because there's this program on, or something like that, and it's this if only, like, oh, if only I watch a funny show, I'll be happy. Or whatever it is, make popcorn, or, you know, that promise. That's greed. It's like, I don't like this, but, or I'm going to finally, once and for all, get my act together, and then I'll become the person I've always wanted to be, 
and then things will be fine. Has anybody been able to do that? <laughs> no. So, then we, we begin to, like all of us to some degree, you know, we're aware that I care about this life, that life is difficult for us human beings. And we see that, oh, there's nothing really, I mean, I can be more or less competent, but there will always be challenges. And what is definitely in play is how this heart, this mind relates to the challenges, internally, external challenges. Do I relate with one kind of struggle or another? In other words, are we justifying getting tight to manage life? And what would the other way be? And, th and then, then we understand our sitting practice, you know, putting aside 20 minutes or whatever, an hour, 10 minutes, 5 minutes, whatever we can do, two times in one day, <laughs> once a week, the more the better. But we understand why that formal activity we call meditation is valuable. It's kind of going to kindergarten. Okay, I'm going to sit in a nice space, hopefully, a nice enough space, in a comfortable enough way. Life will still be challenging, even when I'm sitting in that nice place, right? You know, the tinnitus, or the achy knee, or the restless dog over in the corner, or whatever it might be, there will be something. And even if there's nothing external, it will be our mind, right? Like uh, Holly was mentioning. Just the reverberations of all our busyness in the world, and duties, responsibilities, that will just show up there in that relatively quiet space that we've created for ourselves. But then in that it's still relatively simple when we do our formal meditation. So then we get to practice learning. It's really more not about doing as much as learning. When I relate to the challenges that appear, you know, that sits bone, there's a lot of achiness right there. So when I relate with aversion, I notice how I plant seeds for more stress. Okay, well how else might I relate? Like even if we never got instructions, just through trial and error we could see, well what's another way for me to be aware? I could try ignoring it, how does that work? I could try being intimate with it. So, like welcoming of it, that I end up in sort of a roundabout way not being able to be afraid of it, because I'm, I'm saying yes to it, I'm, I'm getting close to it. Oh, throbbing, aching, feels like this. It's coming and going. And generally, and I think I might have mentioned this last week, you know, subtle is more significant than gross. So on the surface it's throbbing, but then beneath that, well maybe on the surface it's, I don't like this throbbing, and then under that is, it's throbbing, throbbing's like this. And then under that, and we keep like peeling back the layers, what is what I call throbbing, aching in the sits bone? What is that when the mind isn't projecting, but just like in a friendly compassion, I just want to be close. Why? Not that I've always longed to be close to the achiness of a sits bone, but because it's here and now. It's like, this is how this life is right now. This, I didn't ask for it to come into the forefront of attention, but this pain in my butt is there. So, 
the way that we can, if you want to experiment, choose to relate to that is, yes, yes, it's like this now. So in sitting practice, we do this where we use the, the anchor, like the breath or the whole body or hearing, to um, just notice the pleasure of the heart and mind gathering. It's like I said at the beginning, we get to put everything down. And you might need to remind yourself during the formal sitting times, no, 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 I really can, because you'll see that you're planning again or figuring, problem solving again. In a gentle, non-judging way, no, remember, honey, you don't actually have to do this stuff. You can do it later. You can plan that out later. Right now we're just gathering and we give ourselves an anchor, something neutral, like the three that I, we went through tonight, just to gather all aspects of the mind. Like, can I be close? Can I have an honest relationship with the breathing in and the breathing out? Can I track it? Can I cultivate an interest in what's ordinary so there's not much wavering, at least for a half breath in? And then if I can do that, well, how about the half breath out? And then how about the next half breath in? You know, we build up some continuity. But then, of course, some relatively seductive drama will show up and we'll just catch that we're lost in thought, right? And then let that be your meditation. Like Matthew, I think, said, it's really a great skill to realize I don't have to rush back to the anchor. It's not about remaining lost in thought. It's about just being interested. You know what? This is how it is. So, and it's not so much the content of what the mind's been thinking, but immediately <clears throat> wisdom sees, in a sense, the bigger picture, like there's this content, the, the thought, and it feels like this. That's the context. Like, oh yeah, there's this embodied experience here. It's like this problem-solving feels like this. And that will really help the mind from just getting lost in the thought, which tends to be, the thoughts tend to be very seductive. But when we have that bigger and more subtle picture of like, what's emotion, we, we really start to see the karma, like when the mind is thinking with this attitude, this greed, this aversion, this tension, then the body, like an innocent victim, gets harmed. Have you noticed? We tend not to notice because we go from one juicy thing to the next. But when we broaden that awareness to include the body, we realize, oh, things are tight. Problem solving, imagining, fantasizing, planning, feels like this. And again, it's not to judge ourselves, and it's not to make the thinking go away. It will go away on its own when we, when the mind or wisdom takes in the full picture. Nothing lasts very long anyway. You know, sometimes they may feel we've been obsessing for the whole day or even days on end. But it's not really the truth. I mean, it is true that the mind can keep returning to science, the same content, right? But even so, if you just track it, you realize it's there excessively, and then it's not there for a little bit. And then it reignites, and it's there, it's there, it's there, and it's not there. And we really want to see that, and when it's there, 
there's this tension. And when it's not there, there's the release. And that's a very powerful learning. I mean, it's just like a little, some of you raise kids, or dogs, <laughs> you know. And uh, how many times did Bodhi need to poke its nose in something that caused pain? Once or twice, right? Bodhi was one of their dogs a long time ago. And um, same with us as kids, you know. But the thing is, if we're not aware, we don't learn. So we pick up the same content, we spin in the same way, we hear the news, we get self-righteous, we spin, we spin, we spin, and then we look at the news, we get self-righteous. When are we going to learn? It's not about not even looking at the news, but it's just like we'll look at the news with wisdom, like, honey, see if you can get, you know, stay connected to what's going on around you without taking the bait that the body-mind has to get tight just because I'm reading about that human beings are ignorant <laughs> and acting out greed, hatred, and delusion. Why would that surprise us? It's always been that way, right? So how can we move through the world without struggling, without getting tight around the challenges. And it's kind of counterintuitive because we think, well, I need some distance in order to not be pushed around by the challenges of life. But the practice is actually the opposite. It's like, I need to be really intimate so that nothing surprises me. I'm already connected, I'm already feeling what's here to feel, sensing what's here to sense. So there's, there's less of an opportunity for the heart to be surprised. And the heart is already manifesting the wisdom that isn't afraid when conditions are like this. Because, you know, we all know people and we are those people who have gone into challenges and come out the other end. Right? I mean, just think about some of those things that before it happened, our mind was literally screaming, no, this is not okay, right? I mean, lots. When we look over the years, how many times we had that very clear sense. And then after a while, it's like the heart knows how to be with that. It's not that we prefer it, of course. But, oh yeah, I've had cancer. I know what it's like. Or, I've had a bad breakup. I know what it's like. Or, Whatever, I bang my head and I know what it's like to hurt the body. And it's like, I know how to be with that very difficult experience without adding a second layer. The Buddha, in the, one of the teachings, like he calls that the second arrow. That in life we're going to be shot by arrows, but we don't have to shoot the second arrow. So he would refer to an untrained person as they bump into one of the challenges in life, whether it's just physical pain or emotional pain or whatever it might be, and because they haven't trained their heart, they immediately shoot themselves with another arrow. Right? They relate to the first arrow in a way that causes suffering. And that we can definitely do something about. We don't have to shoot that second arrow. But it's all about this training of getting really close and sustaining. 
and we do it, it's kind of a, a two-pronged way. We use a, usually anchors, neutral experience, hearing, aware of the whole body, aware of a particular part of the body. We did the body scan last week, I think. You could do that, or just the breath, either at the tip of the nose, or just more generally feeling the rising and falling, the physicality of that rising and falling, that movement. So ordinary sensations, not the thought about the breath, but the actual physicality, whether it's the touching at the nostrils or here. But again, it can be the whole body, it can be hearing. And for that, when we're working with the anchor, we're really relying on the pleasure of putting everything down and that the heart has this way of gathering and unifying around something simple. That's why people like knitting and some sports, uh, simple sports like jogging or swimming, or it's because their mind has learned to unify and to, to be fully there in that physical activity, I have to put everything else down, including trying to win the race. Right? If you're thinking about winning the game, you're not in the flow of the game. So there's something, this is a, humans have found ways, every human needs to find some way to put everything down. Mindfulness meditation is just using this to the nth degree with our anchors. And then, but a lot of, the, there's a lot of learning just in learning to unify around the present moment. But a lot of the learning comes also from all the interruptions because the momentum of our habits are still there We'll have one interruption after another. It's just a question if those interruptions are coming every 10 seconds, or every two minutes, or every one second, <laughs> you know, or if we're really lucky and have a good sit, you know, maybe a dozen times during a 20-minute sit. That would be amazing, you know, to have that much continuity, unwavering present moment awareness. That is pretty rare. It's a sign of progress when you realize how amazingly distracted the mind is. That means you're paying attention. If, you, if someone comes to me after a retreat day or a sit and says, yeah, I was, I was present. Were you present? Yeah, I was present. Any distraction? No, I didn't notice any distractions. What, what does that tell the teacher? It's like, your practice hasn't developed enough to even notice how much wandering there is that the mind is here and there. And then when someone comes to me, it's like, my mind was all over the place. I was here and that came in. It's like, oh, good, you're really paying attention. You're really starting to see the way it is. It's like a waterfall of mental activity. And there's awareness. And that's the thing, you know, when you learn to um, not be reactive to the distractions that come when you're using your anchor, it's because there's more confidence in the anchor of awareness. Because part of knowing what awareness is intuitively, you may never be able to articulate it to another person and that's fine, but intuitively knowing awareness means you know it can't be broken. That some distraction or some despicable thought or some painful memory doesn't ruin it. Because awareness like that mirror, Jordan was mentioning again, that I mentioned last week, the mirror isn't affected, doesn't care what it's reflecting. 
And so we're really relying on that capacity of awareness to simply know it's like this now. This is what's being felt or this is what's being known. And so when the distractions come, we really, that's where we develop the confidence and awareness because it really makes a difference when we're seeing some painful psychological habit playing itself out. But there's a sense that awareness knows that it's like this. It, it, it's the same thing, but it doesn't bite. It doesn't, it isn't a problem. And again, it's not so easy to talk about, but you really want to notice the relief, the release when awareness knows it's like this. A couple of you mentioned it in the go-round, just examples. Maybe it was you, Jordan, I forget who said it, but that when the mind see, saw that, it wasn't so seductive, wasn't so heavy. And that's the key. So wherever, so not just in your formal sits, but all day long, when you notice your mind's up in a knot about whatever, then it's in a way, it's, we say we're stepping back, but actually we're stepping in, right? It's really being intimate. We're intimate with the not, intimate with the mental act. But noticing, oh, it feels like this, and this is being known. This is being known. It feels like this. This is being known. Can this, and when you ask that question, maybe, you know, whether you verbalize it or not in your mind, it's up to you, but can this be okay? It's really like developing that confidence, that awareness of the way it is has the taste of freedom. Brings some real emotional, psychological space when we realize, oh, this is how it is. Whether it's some deep existential fear, you wake up in the middle of the night and you're afraid of dying, or something like, or afraid of loss, and, and then that compassionate, wise practice comes up and says, oh yeah, feeling afraid is like this. This is being known here and now. And then, can it be okay? Yeah. I mean, there's some, somehow it is okay. Of course, sometimes it is like this. So it isn't about resolving all the challenges that come with human be being a human being, although if you can solve some of your problems, great. <laughs> now it's not about not solving problems, but whether problems can be solved or not, the heart doesn't need to be burdened. So the practice is really about an ease with conditions. So then as we go about, you know, because a lot of what we do is solving problems, we can be at ease. And if it turns out that our strategies are alleviating things that are difficult, great. And if our strategies aren't sufficient to alleviate things that are difficult, great. So homework, because it's good, is to, because, and then we'll, this will be our check-in, you know, next, or last week, and then, you know, we'll keep going, the third, I'll come back the third uh, Wednesday, and Matthew will, I'll lead the group the first Wednesday of the month. But to, uh, next week for our, our homework is really resolving to notice what gets in the way. So you're working with your anchor, breath, 
whole body or hearing. And don't go around, you know, just, you can kind of move through all three if you want at the beginning of your sitting time, but just decide, okay, this is going to be my working ground for at least this set. When I've noticed I've been wandering, I'll take a moment, notice that, make peace with the distraction, and then I know where to come back. I'm feeling the breath here, I'm feeling that movement as it rises and falls, I'm feeling the breath here, I'm feeling the whole body sitting, or I'm using hearing. And then, and why am I doing that? Because there's a pleasure in unifying the energies of the mind around the simple task of being intimate in the present moment. And I'm using this meditation anchor, this particular phenomena, like breathing in, breathing out, as a convenience to unify around the present moment. Because right? that's where breathing in and breathing out happens, or that's where the experience of the whole body sitting happens only in the present moment. Because it's not a thought. Thoughts, of course, happen in the present moment too, where else would they happen? But the mind isn't aware of the present moment when we're lost in thought. You know, I could be in Antarctica thinking about, you know, penguins or something. That's not here and now. But as soon as the mind is aware, oh yeah, thinking's like this. Then we're back. So the anchor is just a way, is a, um, sort of a trick or a convenience to train the mind to be present. And we know we're doing that when there's that very particular pleasure of being present. It feels good. It's subtle, but we want to know the taste of being present, just like we want to know the agitation of being distracted. And then that sets up all the good learning that when we do get distracted from that place of being present, then we can, then instead of it just tormenting us, all the things that push and pull the mind, we'll actually learn from them. So let's take a few minutes in case there's some questions about what I've said or just even comments. And again, the homework will be reporting back of what interrupts the continuity. And don't think this is just during your formal sitting time. And then you, you like, uh, you know, some of you might j- drive to work, and then you've got to walk from your car to, you know, your office space or whatever. So just for example, well, that's another place to be mindful, just to be in the experience of walking from here to there. Or if you have a hallway that you always walk back and forth in your house or home, Okay, that's a place that I'm just going to resolve to be present and feel that physicality of walking. And then notice what gets in the way. Like, notice how hard it is to stay, to continue to be in the present moment. Like you were saying, Holly, like how much the mind wants to... feels under um, the thumb, you know, to do more. So let's take a couple of minutes of silence then and just... Appreciating before you turn your attention to a particular meditation anchor, and we'll just sit for like three or four minutes, just realize that this capacity that we call mindful awareness is already here, like a mirror that just reflects, it's like this now.
and let the heart and mind gather here in the present moment. Everything belongs. No need for greed or aversion. And if greed or aversion show up, then wisdom and awareness knows, yep, it's like this now. Willing to feel what's here to feel. Cultivating a taste for this beautiful exposure to life. Nowhere to go, nothing that needs to be figured out. So nice to be here together. Thanks for coming again. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.